today we're going to talk about, yes, the Roman road and what the gospel looks like, but we're also going to look at the ability of human beings to see and not to see. Now, this is going to be hard for you guys to believe, but I wasn't exactly a Casanova back in high school. I know. You look at me and you're like, that is the smoothest guy I've ever seen in my life. You know, it's a cross between Billy Graham and Jason Statham mixed in one. I know. But yes, in high school, I was not always the best at the dating game. In fact, I, I honestly miss things quite frequently. It was actually funny because in my senior year, I was buddies. My best friend was the most popular guy in high school. So he was Mr. Casanova, and I was Mr. Never Was On A Date Ever. And I remember one Friday we were talking, and um, we'd been talking to this girl I really liked kind of at lunch, and... After she left, he looked at me and he goes, you are the biggest idiot I have ever seen in my entire life. And I was like, Nick, what do you mean, man? And he's like, you like her, right? And I said, yeah, you know I do. He goes, well, why didn't you just ask her out? I'm like, whoa, man, I'm not going to do that. I said, there's no hints at all that she likes me or is interested. I don't do what you do, man, okay? I'm not going to put myself out there. He goes, did you hear anything we just talked about? We just talked about the weekend. He goes, play it back, Gladeless. Play it back. He goes, what did she say to you? Uh, she said, what are you doing this weekend? And I said, nothing. And then you asked her what she was doing this weekend, and she said, absolutely nothing. I really had hoped to go do something this weekend. In fact, there's this movie I really wanted to go see, but I have nobody to go see it with. And you then, Luke, said, man, that stinks. <laughs> He goes, do you see where I'm coming here from the hill, Luke? And I'm like, do you think she wanted me to ask her to the movie? And he's like, oh my goodness, Gradeless, you're going to be single for the rest of your entire life. Now that wasn't Nicole. Thankfully with Nicole, it were completely the opposite. She tackled me, dragged me, and forced me out on our first date. She'll verify that story for you. She's not even paying attention, so I'm good. That's how it happened. The key is, is people can miss things that are right there in front of their faces. Because when we have a bias built into ourselves, we only look for things that confirm those opinions. Do you notice nowadays when you watch a political show, right, the Republican TV shows only show Republican people telling you how dumb the Democratic ideas are. They all nod and agree, and that's awesome and great. And if you watch the Democratic channels, what do you see? A bunch of Democrats surrounded by other Democrats telling them how great Democrat ideas are and how dumb Republicans are. What you don't really see anymore is actually two smart people from two opposite sides coming together, having an intellectual conversation about the two opposing points, and then discussing about what makes sense and what doesn't. Why? Because we only want to be reaffirmed in what we currently believe. We don't want to have anybody challenge our thoughts or our ideas. And when somebody does come and challenge those, we immediately reject them and assume that they're wrong. And in fact, as we go throughout this series, The Way of Life, what we're talking about is the basic truths that make up the gospel. And one of the things I've asked you to do is, one, make sure these truths are truths for you. Right, that as we go through the Romans road, as we look at the basics of the gospel, that you go, yep, I know those things, I believe those things, and I live as if those things are true. But there's one caveat to that I want to make sure each and every one of you has done, and that is, is that you have actually questioned your own beliefs. There are 
are so many of us in this room that believe what we believe simply because it's been told to us. Or we grew up this way. Or somebody we respect told us that. But we've never had the courage to sit down and actually analyze our views and ask ourselves, does God back these things up? And there are so many of you that the reason that you're not comfortable to talk to people about your faith, the reason that you don't want to evangelize or you don't want to get into conversations, is you are completely unarmed to have those debates. Because all you can really say about why you believe it is, I don't know, the pastor said so. We need to be a people that know why we believe what we believe. And we need to be a people who are not afraid to bring tough questions to God. Because if God is the Almighty and He is perfect, there is no question you can ask Him that He's afraid of. And so if He is who He says He is, as we challenge Him, as we bring Him questions, as we bring hard things to Him, He will answer them. And then you know what happens to us? We become more bold. We become more confident. Because we know our God has an answer. And so as we look at these truths we're about to go through, one, ask yourself, do I understand these? Have I thought about these critically? And second, could I articulate these to somebody else? The big point that makes me upset about the modern church is we have missed what God asked us to do. God did not ask you to hear His truth and then sit in pews and pray for everybody else. He asked you to see the truth, acknowledge it in your hearts, and then do what? Go to all nations and make disciples. So you're not here to just go, great, I'm good. Hope everybody else gets here. You're now here to advocate this to others. Why? Because you believe you hold the greatest treasure in the world. And you love people and want to share it with them. And so if you know these truths, fantastic. That's a great starting point. But the next place for you to go is, can I articulate this to somebody else? And so let's just run through the basics here. First place we start is Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does this mean? It means that everyone is a sinner. What that means is every single one of us is less than perfect. Amen. And that's a huge thing for us to understand. It's not saying that there's everybody in the world is junk. It's not saying nobody in the world does good. It's not saying nobody in the world lives to try to make the world a better place. It's just simply saying, you're not perfect. Each and every one of us falls short of the glory of God. We have made mistakes. We are selfish and self-focused. And we're sinners. That's where the Bible starts. And we talk about this all the time. Nobody likes to talk about sin anymore. But if you don't understand why you need to be saved, the beautiful story of a Savior doesn't mean anything. So Romans 3.23, everyone is a sinner. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the beauty of this is while you and I were the enemies of God, we stood in the strongest opposition to him. He died for us. There are so many of us that are afraid in our darkest moments to go to God because we're afraid that he's going to reject us, that he's going to push us away, and that he's going to be angry and upset. For those of you that have those moments, remember this verse. When you stood as his enemy, he loved you so much he died for you. Amen. If 
that's what he did for you when you were his enemy, how do you think he will approach you when you're his loving child? He's absolutely going to show you love. And so what we know is, yes, we were sinners, but God still loves us. He still loves us even in our sin. And this is a huge thing for us to understand because in our culture, so many people have made God to be this angry old man with a big set of rules, and he tries to make life no fun, and he tries to make life hard. And if you can earn enough Jesus points, then you get to go to heaven. It's not how it works. He's a loving father that saw us in unbelievable trouble and did everything up to the point of his own death to get us out of trouble. And because he's done that, that takes us to our next verse. It brings us to Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so this is the choice that everybody gets. You can be your own Lord, make your own path, and where that will lead you is death. Or you can choose to follow Christ and He will lead you to life. He's not going to force anybody to go one way or the other. He has given us free will. He's given us a mind. He's given us a heart. He has given us a soul. He has laid these options out for us. And you and I get to choose, will I be my own Lord and run towards death? Or will I follow Him and run towards life? We're sinners. He died for us. And that creates a choice. And if we want to move on, then what we look at is Romans 10.9. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. Now, I've, I've stressed to you every week we've looked at this verse to miss, don't miss that one word, Lord. Because that is the word that separates so many of us from being actually in the kingdom of God. There are many people who are perfectly fine intellectually embracing that God loved them enough to die for them. And they will confess Him as their Savior. But there are so many of us that even after confessing Him as our Savior, we do not live as He is our Lord. Being our Savior is a one-moment thing. That's Him in an instant dying on a cross, paying our debt, and washing us clean. Him being our Lord is an everyday thing. What that means is as I move on, as I live each day, I don't sit here and go, here's Luke's dream, here's Luke's plan, here's what Luke wants. God, if you could throw down some blessings and make that happen for me, that'd be great. He's not my genie in a lamp. If you have that kind of God, you're worshiping the wrong God. Because what you really believe in that instance is though He may be powerful, you actually are the one in control. You turn into this kind of bargaining relationship where if I pray enough, if I read enough, if I go to church enough, if I serve enough, if I give enough money, then God owes me. And when I ask for these things, He better make them happen. That's not a loving relationship. That's a contractual exchange. It's like what we do at work. I work 40 hours, you pay me. That's how this works. It's not how it works with God. You cannot earn His favor. You cannot earn heaven. It's only for the perfect. But He, in love, has created a path to bring you there. What you have to choose is that you want to follow Him. 
that you want Him to be your Lord. That you go, you're perfect, you are all loving, and you have always done what is necessary for me. And because of that, Lord, I want to follow you. If we confess that, then salvation is given to us. And the last place we stop is we stop in Romans 15, where it says in verses 5 and 6, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what's that mean? It means that you and I aren't on this journey alone. Besides God saving us individually, He then brings us together as a family. And that's why this room is full of these people. This is not supposed to be a country club. This is not supposed to be some social group focused on making the world a better place. This is not to be some place we come because there's donuts and coffee and my pew is saved for me. This is supposed to be a place where we come where we genuinely love each other. And as a family, we know each other and we help each other live life. We share the joys, we divide the pains, and we go through this together. And to be honest, it's not even because we like each other. It's because all of us love Christ. And when we see that mutual love in each other, it brings us together. It unites us together. Now, it's nice if we like each other. Don't get me wrong. I hope we like each other. But what brings us together first and foremost is that we all love the same Lord. So today I want to kind of explore this a little bit with you. If you have your Bibles, come with me to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. We're going to look at an instance where we see two different groups of people approached with the gospel. And we're going to see how they respond unbelievably different to it. And this is an important passage, especially if you're somebody who isn't there yet, where you have that relationship with God. And the reason I say that is, I can't tell you the number of time in in talking to non-believers, atheists, agnostics, whatever, that people will go, Luke, if there was really a God, if He really loved us, if He was really there, why would He just show up and show Himself? Why do we got to discern what Scripture says? Why do we got to deal with this whole Holy Spirit thing? Why doesn't He just show up in physical form and talk to us like a normal human being? The answer is He did. He did. He did show up in physical form. He did preach with authority. He did perform miracles that only God could do. But because we didn't want to accept Him, we murdered Him. And so that's why we have this interaction that we have today. He already tried the direct approach and we refused to see what was happening right before us. And in this passage, we'll start to understand why. It says, As he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sent this man or his parents that he would be born blind? And so important thing to understand here, one's just a sub-note. I love that Jesus never sees crowds. He always sees people. Like, if you notice, if you go to a really crowded place like, you know, SeaWorld or the mall or Whataburger, right, you don't really pick out individuals unless they're really weird. But you just kind of see a blur of people. Like, you can go to the mall 
and it'll literally pass by 400 people. And if I asked you to describe any of them, you'd be like, I, I don't know. Why? Because at a certain point, your brain goes, I can't see individuals in this. But Jesus had an unbelievable ability to be surrounded by thousands, and yet in the midst of those crowds, he could see the one person who needed help. Amen. He could see the one person hurting and suffering. The one person that needed a kind word or a gentle touch or just a little bit of his time. And I encourage you people, don't lose that. Right? We're supposed to reflect his love. We're supposed to look like him. How many of us at work walk by coworkers and colleagues and, and we miss what's happening right in front of us? There are so many people nowadays that run into hundreds of thousands of people throughout their lifetime and yet none of them actually see them. Here's Jesus singing a man. Now in verse 2 we see something interesting. We see even Jesus' disciples are still struggling to understand things. They see this man who's been blind his whole entire life, and because of that, he's now homeless and is a beggar. And they ask a very interesting question. They say, who sinned, him or his parents, that he's blind? See, in their world, to be blind, to have something bad happen to you, meant you did something to deserve that. Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. So if bad stuff's happening to you, we know where you sit. And so they see a blind beggar and go, clearly, someone in his life sinned big time. Was it him? Or was it his parents? And so Jesus says something here. He says in verse 3, Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned, nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so the first point I want to break out to you guys is, is that, guys, faith... Actually, how did I go there? Look at all things through the eyes of God. Look at all things through the eyes of God. There are some of you who have a prayer request that will never be answered in your entire life. And it may actually be the greatest blessing of your entire life. There are some of you who will constantly pray that God would financially bless you because the stress of your finances is so great that you believe if you just had some money and you could wipe those stresses out, your life would be so much better. God the Father knows you best. And for some of you, what He knows is, you with money would be terrible. Like, do you know that, like, what is it, 87% of people who win the lottery end up going bankrupt? How? I guarantee if you talked to those people before that and said, if I gave you a million dollars right now, what would that do to your life? They'd be like, oh my goodness. I'd quit the job I'd hate. I'd pay off my house. We'd get rid of all the financial arguments me and my spouse have. I could get my kids into school. I could finally go to the doctor and take care of my health ailments. My life would be so much better if you could do that for me. And yet the reality is, most of those people, when they get the money, what happens? Things get worse. Some of us are praying for things that God knows you should never have. He knows you should never, ever have it. Like, I'll give you just a, a small example of my house. I am more willing to let Jake play with uh, my iPad or my phone because Jake just doesn't really care about video games. 
If I give Jake a video game on an iPad, he'll probably play it for like five to seven minutes, then he'll get bored, he'll put it down, and he'll run and go do something. So I don't mind putting video games into his life if he wants to hang out with them, because I know he won't go to an extreme with it. Now, Tyler, on the other hand, if I give Tyler an iPad, he will zone out until that thing dies. He won't hear a word. He won't, the house could be on fire, and he'd just be right there, locked in. And so him, I'm like, no video games for you, dude, because they hook you in a different way. For some of you, the things that you've been praying for, God the Father is looking at you going, you're never going to get that. I am never going to help you look like Captain America because if you did, you'd run around in spandex all the time looking in mirrors in love with how beautiful you look. I think that's why God gave me the extra weight and no hair. He knew I was so beautiful that if I was skinny and had hair, I'd just be obsessed with how beautiful I am. For some of you, those things you're praying for, the best thing in your life is that they're not happening. And so what God is pointing his disciples to here is, you guys look at this man and assume that something terrible happened for him to be in the spot. No. He's exactly where God wants him. He's exactly where God needs him. And in this moment, glory is going to be brought to God through the actions that are about to occur. You and I are terrible at seeing. And we need to learn to pause and not judge things on our view, but try to see things from His. Amen. It's why often we have this, this terminology where we say, hindsight's twenty twenty. But How many of us in the moment look at things and go, this is the worst thing ever? And then later in life look back and go, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Why? Because God was driving and he knew what you needed. And he knew if he'd given you in that moment what you wanted, you'd have messed it up. He is leading you. And so look what happens. It says, we must work that works of him who sent me. As long as it is day, night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seen. Therefore, the neighbors and those previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he's just like him. But the blind man kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man who was called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. They said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. So... Second point I want you to see. Faith is believing that leads to doing. Let me say that again. Faith is believing that leads to doing. Jesus could have just looked at this man and said what? See. Write that in there. His eyes could have opened and he could have seen. We've seen Jesus do this, right? We've seen Jesus walk up to a dead guy and go, get up. And the dead guy gets up. So if Jesus can do that with life and death, why in this moment does he spit on the ground, make clay, put it on the guy's eyes, and ask him to go and wash? 
It's a test of the man's faith. And it's not that the washing earns him his eyesight. It's that his faith does. And what I want you to understand about that, guys, is you and I, we have separated faith and works into two separate camps. And there are some of us that go, if I believe all the right things, it does not matter what I do, I'm good. Which is weird because we only really ever believe that at church. If you would sit there and go, I am a fitness expert because I have read all of these books and I know all the right workouts to do. Well, if you say that, but never work out, weigh 400 pounds, and are on a million medications, do anybody else in the world look at you and go, that's a fitness expert? (laughs) No, we'd all be like, who cares what you know? You're not doing any of it. You can sit there and tell me all these things all day long. It doesn't matter because you do none of them. And so we have this camp of believers who are like, well, yes, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, I believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Yes, I believe the church is the family of God. Yes, I believe God is perfect. Okay, do you read the Bible? No. Do you go to church? No. Do you pray to God, talk to God? No. But He's my Lord. No, He's not. No, he's not. No human being would believe something that ridiculous. Why do we think the perfect, all-knowing God would? Just because you say it doesn't make it true. That knowledge has to turn into action. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, you have people who go, well, faith, who cares about faith? It's all about works. I have to earn my way to heaven. I have to serve. I have to do good. I have to build up this impressive resume. And if I do enough, then I get to go to heaven. The problem with that is the standard of heaven is perfection. Who can achieve perfection? No one. And not only that, but how does the scale work? Right? So to all those people who want to believe like, well, you get to go to heaven if you're a good person. What's that mean? Okay, so if we all agree cussing's bad, what cancels that out? That you said hi to somebody? Right? If if we believe that, like, murder's wrong, is there anything you can do after you've killed somebody that washes that clean? What if you didn't mean to kill the person? Is there a way to get past that? Like, on the extremes, we're all good with the good and evil thing for heaven and hell, right? Hitler, hell. Easy. We're good with that one. Mother Teresa, heaven. We're good with that one. What about your coworkers? What about the guy who's a fantastic parent but a terrible husband? Where's he go? What about the people who have unbelievably bad habits that we know are wrong and they lie and they do certain things wrong but they're also really loving to certain people in their lives? How's that one break even? What's the equation look like? How do we know where the scale stands? We don't. And so what God has always taught us is, is that yes, it's faith that gets you to heaven. But real faith, real faith, is always going to create works. It's impossible for you to have faith in your soul and not do good. If you truly have that love for God, if you truly believe He is the creator of the universe, then guess what? It's going to show up in how you act. And if it doesn't, I don't think you really believe it. 
I told you this before. It's like, if somebody in your life says they love you, you should never be shocked when they say that. If somebody says, I love, and you're like, what? You love me? I could never tell. I wouldn't know that by how you talk to me. I wouldn't know that by how you act towards me. There is nothing in the history of our relationship that would ever let me know you love me. That person doesn't love you. Now, vice versa, normally people who love you, when they say it, you're like, I know. Right? Because everything they do screams it. The way they look at you, the way they talk about you, the way they serve you, the way they help you, the way they spend time with you. Everything screams, I'm really important to you. I know that. Well, guys, if human beings can see that, God can too. Us sitting here on Sunday mornings, booking your hour and 20 to 30 minutes, 40 doesn't earn you anything if after you leave here you act like God doesn't exist. He's not an idiot. And so this man, God puts this clay on his face and he has to display faith that he's willing to believe as ridiculous as it sounds that mud could give him sight back. He shows faith by going and doing that simple act. That simple act displays the faith that he has that this man can actually do what he says he's doing. And so all of us need to look at ourselves and go, does my faith show up in the way that I act? Now, do you notice that after he's healed, there's this controversy? People are looking at this guy going, how can he see now? How's that possible? And some people so badly want to believe it's not the same guy. They're like, no, it's just a dude who looks exactly like him. Right? If the options are, Jesus walked up to this guy, said, go wash yourself and you'll see. That's what happened. Or, no, there's an identical twin we just never ever met. I'm going to go with the identical twin theory. And when you hear that, you go, why would anybody think that? So you've seen this guy every day for your entire life. You've known him since childhood. You've never seen another human being that looks like him. And what we're now going to believe is suddenly there was this secret twin that was hiding here for 40 years and we just discovered him. By the way, you can't produce both men at the same time. Who would believe that? People that are so desperate to believe, Jesus didn't give them sight back. There is this belief, guys, in our society that you have to commit intellectual suicide to be a believer. It's not true. It's not true at all. In fact, I would challenge anybody. I think it takes far more faith to not believe in God than to believe in God. Amen. Go ask any scientist to explain to you how the world began, and they will go... In a burst of light, a long time ago, all the matter in the universe was at a single point, and it began to move for some reason. And you know what even atheist cosmologists will tell you? The closest description we have ever of that is in Genesis chapter 1. 
go study evolution. And anybody, even the guy who wrote evolution, will tell you. The fossil record should show us animals slowly changing over time into different species. But instead, what we actually find in the fossil record is it looks like almost 90% of all the animals that existed were created at the same time. Gee, do we have a story that tells us that's what happened? Everywhere you look, science actually backs this up, but here's the problem. You have people that when they follow that to its most logical conclusion go, I don't want that. So I will do whatever gymnastics I need to to make there a different way that that's not possible. Let me give you one example of it in the science world. In the science world, there is a theory that doesn't start with the Big Bang. And the theory is, is that the universe is cyclical. And so it just constantly you have this giant universe that expands, shrinks, expands, shrinks, expands, shrinks. The only way to make that mathematically work in any equation is for them to use this constant called I. Do you know what I is? It's a made-up number. It's a made-up number because scientists, every time they looked at it, realized every equation in the world told them that things had to begin at a certain point. There was a zero date. Well, all the scientists hate that because if there's a zero date, that means something outside of the laws of physics had to act on the world to make everything happen. What does that sound like? God. God. Well, if you don't like that equation, what do you do? Well, what if we plugged in something that made that not possible? Okay, let's do that. Well, we don't have a real number to do that. Okay, let's make one up. That's literally what they did. And then they go and teach it like it's fact. That's not fact. That's you looking at the conclusion going, I don't like the conclusion, so let me change the formula. And we do that all the time. Look at what the Pharisees are going to do here. It's it's unbelievable. Look at verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. And that was on the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. So if you know anything about Jewish law, the Sabbath was a day set aside to worship God. And on that day, you're not supposed to work. And so the Pharisees, these are the religious elite. These guys have authority and power and wealth all because they do church better than anybody else. And they hate Jesus. They hate Jesus because Jesus has come in and challenged everything. They're in love with the rules, and Jesus is like, guys, the whole point of the rules is for you to have a loving relationship with God. Your rules without God mean nothing. And so they hate Jesus because Jesus, if people follow him, he represents a complete change of philosophy. He's flipping the whole world upside down. He's saying the rules aren't the end game, the relationship is. And so the Pharisees look at this and go, okay, wait a minute, this was on the Sabbath? So in verse 16, it says, Therefore some of the Pharisees were saying, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Do you understand what they're saying here? These guys aren't arguing that Jesus gave back sight to the blind man. Here's what they're saying. He shouldn't have done it on a Saturday. Can you imagine how hard your heart is that you watch a man blind from birth give him back sight and go, you shouldn't have done that today. It's a day off. I think God's going to be mad at you because you did it on a church day. What? You just watched a man get sight back 
And you're not marveling at that. You're instead going, oh, wrong day. Clearly, Jesus is a sinner. Should have done it today. If he'd done it a different day, we'd be good with it. But he did it on the Sabbath. That means he doesn't stand for God. This is a sinful man. We need to get rid of him. Do you know how stupid that is? Do you understand how dumb that is? The only way you can make that make sense is if you're someone who's looking for a reason to get mad at Jesus. That's it. And let's be real. We've all done this. Do any of you have that person in your life that you can't stand? You don't really know why. But you make everything they do the worst. Anybody have that person in their life? Am I the only one? Am I the only bad person in this room? <laughs> Come on, you know the one I'm talking about. You're, that friend that like, if you tell anybody else about what they did, your friend's like, I don't get it. Because the story doesn't sound bad on the surface. Like, oh no, they brought tacos for everybody. Such a jerk move. What do you mean they brought tacos for everybody? No, 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 no. They brought tacos to like show up everybody in the room. Wait, run that by me again? How, how is that them being a jerk? You, you just had to be there, okay? You just had to be there. But we all have that person that we just can't stand. And so anything they do, we twist it to make it look ugly. Why? Because we don't want to sit there and go, you know what, I think that person's actually a pretty nice person. We don't want to see that. And that's what the Pharisees are doing here. They can't sit here and go, wow, Jesus just gave that man sight back. That's unbelievable. In fact, guys, we should talk about that because the only person that can do that is God. What does it mean if this guy's walking around doing things only God can do? Should we talk about that? No. Instead, they're like, it's on the wrong day. Sinner, get rid of him. They don't want to see this truth. I really don't believe that the majority of people who don't believe in God have looked at all the evidence and go, there is no God. I think the majority of people who don't want to believe in God don't want there to be a God. Because it terrifies them that there might be somebody in this world that they're wholly accountable to. It terrifies them that you may have to one day stand before somebody who is pure and righteous and perfect and give account for how you've lived your life. That's terrifying. And so they'd rather do whatever they have to do mentally to go, no, that's not how it works. We're just animals. We live, we die, it's over. That's all that matters. Because that's more comforting than standing before a judge and knowing that you might be found guilty. And so what we've got to look at is if this can happen here, God can show up in physical form, God can perform miracles that only God can do, and He can do it right in front of these people, and they can then still go, He's bad. That tells you that some of us, our hearts are so hard, we'll never see. Because we don't want to. I'm going to skip a bit, but if you read the passage, let me sum up what happens. The Pharisees so badly 
don't want to believe this, that they, they kind of hold this on trial. They call the man in, they ask him to explain the story again. He tells the story the exact same way. They call witnesses in, and they go, tell us what happened. And they go, Jesus showed up, he made clay, he put it on his eyes. He said if he washed, he could see. That's what happened. They don't believe that, so they call in his parents, and they're like, explain this to us. Explain how he can see now. And they're like, whoa, he's a grown man, you ask him. Because they know they're angry. They know they're upset. They know they're looking for someone to be a scapegoat. So they call the man back in and he's like, what do you, what do you want me to say here, guys? What do you want me to say here? And so let, let's get down a little bit. Look at verse 24. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He then answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become disciples too of this man, do you? They reviled him. You are his disciples, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. Then the blind man answered and said to them, Well, here's an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins and are teaching us, and so they threw him out. Do you understand the beauty of that? Do you understand the beauty of what just happened there? This man who's been blind his entire life is uneducated as a homeless beggar. Stands before the most powerful people in the nation. Well-educated men, powerful men, and rich men. And as they're interrogating him, he just looks at them and is like, what are you guys talking about? You want to get into all these theological terms, whether he's a sinner or not, where did he come from, how did he do it? He goes, let me just make it real simple for you. I used to be blind. Nobody could heal me. No medicine, no doctor, no person, no nothing could give me my sight back. But then this man shows up. This man makes clay and tells me that if I will go and wash, I will see. And I can see. Now you and I know that only one person can do that, and that's God. So unless God now works for sinful people, unless God now is taking orders from a demon, then this man's from God. And why you can't see that, I don't know. And you know how I love this debate so much? I love how it ends. Because the Pharisees, what's their rebuttal? They have none. So they go, we're smarter than you, get out of here. Have you ever been in a debate like that? It's an intellectual back and forth until you finally get somebody to a point that you can't win and then you just fall back on, well, I'm right, you're wrong, leave. That's what they do. They have no way to counteract what he's just said because it makes too much sense. So they go, we're smart, we're educated, you're a loser, get out of here, you're wrong. That's not the way to respond. When someone responds that way, they don't want to learn. When someone responds that way, they just want to believe they're right. 
they're afraid to really look at things from a different angle. And so I'll use that to remind you of one last thing. A good witness simply shares what happened to them. Brothers and sisters, we talk a lot about our job going out in those world and telling people the gospel message. And the simplest way to do that is for you to tell people what happened to you. Amen. Amen. I used to be this way. I met this man, Jesus, and here's what he did to me. And now, I'm this way. It's not complicated. It's not hard. And it's almost impossible for anybody to argue you. Because it's your story about what happened in your life. But some of us, we don't have the courage to do that. Or worse, some of us don't really have a story. Some of us, our story would be, I went to church and my pastor said this. And so now I'm saying it to you. Some of us can't tell you a story because we've never actually encountered Christ ourselves. And so what I want to challenge you guys today to do is to make sure that you have sat down face to face with God and talked to Him. Christianity is not a set of rules. It's not rituals. It's not religion. It's a loving relationship with God. It's a loving relationship with our Father that shaped our souls, that built us, and put us here on earth. It is a day-to-day interaction of us with Him. And the reason so many people don't tell the story of their own life is all they know is what the book says. See, the Pharisees had to cut the conversation off when it came to this man's story because all they had were rules. They couldn't talk about the character of God because they never talked to God. They just learned a list of rights and wrongs. I pray that each and every one of you here could talk about God the way you talk about the people you love in your life. I want when people ask you who Jesus is, that you don't sit here and go, well, let me walk you through seven verses. Let me tell you some facts about him. I hope you would sit there and go, let me tell you about Jesus. He's my everything. He is the one who has loved me every day of my life, even at my darkest and lowest moments. He is the one who has shown me things about myself I never even knew were there. He is the one that has led me to things that are such blessings in my life that I never even knew I wanted until He came into my life. He's my everything. I literally don't know what life would be without Him because He is the purpose and the reason behind everything. You want to talk about some verses about Him? We can do that too. But let me tell you who He's been to me. That's what moves people. That's what breaks the hardened hearts. And that's what you've got to be able to do. This blind man was not an educated theologian. He was just a man who could simply explain what had happened to him. Can you do the same? Can you truly see with your eyes what's happening right in front of you every day?
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Holy Father, we come before you, Lord, and we pray that our spiritual eyes are open. God, so many of us, we have just stayed stuck in the same place for so long, Lord. We've fallen into our routines. We've accepted the normal. And we just get by. Father, I pray that you will put a spirit in the hearts of each person in this room not to accept the normal, not to accept the average, but Lord, to pursue excellence. To Father, to chase after you in everything that you bring. Father, to see your perfect, unfailing, endless love. Father, to taste what it's like to truly be alive in a relationship with God. Father, I pray that you will give the courage to each person in this room to ask you, Father, the questions we've always wanted to ask. Do not be afraid, Lord, to challenge our own views and our own beliefs. For God, we have the confidence that if you are who you say you are, there is no question you don't have an answer to. this blind man, may you open up the eyes of our hearts and our souls so that we can see everything that's happening around us each and every day. Father, we love you. And in the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As Maria sings, I'm going to ask Brother Joe to come up to the front with me. Brother James will be in the back. While we're singing, you can lift your voices up and worship to God. Or if you feel like there's something on your heart that you want to pray about, you can do that right there where you are. Or if you want somebody to pray with you, you can come and see us. As always, if you don't feel comfortable coming up during service, seek us out. We're here to be with you guys. Call us, text us, email us, talk to us after service. We're always here to help you along the journey.